I don't know how your week ended up, but mine got a little crazy. About Friday, I got word that um, one of our members' mom passed away unexpectedly, 67 years old, good health, in her sleep, just went to be with the Lord. Just a little bit later, that same day, I, I learned that a 54-year-old, 54-year-old lady um, who had been active in our church a few years ago also went to be with the Lord. Um, she leaves. Uh, she was a widow. Her husband had died at age 49 three years ago. She leaves a ninth grader and a junior in college. And then yesterday, mid-afternoon, I get word that Michael Sanseverino died in his sleep. Michael's the son of Gail, who was recently widowed with the passing of her husband, Vinny. What if one of those calls was yours? Where do you go when you need hope that's huge that's bigger than death where do you go um, this morning I'd like to suggest that you ought to go to the book of Revelation I'm serious the book of Revelation um I'm curious, show of hands, how many of you have read the book of Revelation this year? Okay. You should read the book of Revelation. You should leave this room today and read the book of Revelation. Let me give you three good reasons, and this is going to be basically my outline of the book. Um, you read the book of Revelation, you will see Christ as victor. You will see him exalted in his glory in a way that you don't see with this clarity anywhere else in Scripture. You will see the sure and severe and terrible judgments of God. And this is a good thing. And lastly, you will see the beauty of the end of history as we know it. And it is stunning. Absolutely stunning. And so this morning, I'd just like to kind of walk you through this amazing gift that God has given to us at the back end of our Bibles called the book of Revelation. And my prayer is that we would see Christ this morning lifted up as um, victor and as judge and ready to return and reign soon upon this earth. So let's pray. Let's get ready to see Christ together. Lord, um, we don't often realize it, but we are starving for hope. Every once in a while, the mat gets pulled out from under us, and we realize how hopeless, how helpless we are. Unless these stories in this book are more than stories. They are promises 
predictive promises by the most faithful God. So in these minutes, show us your, your glory, the one on the throne and Lamb. We pray in Christ's matchless name. Amen. The book of Revelation begins this way. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. (laughs) That's what the book is about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which God gave him to show his servants what must, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Just read it and you'll be blessed. Okay? I guarantee it, but it's not my guarantee. It's God's guarantee. Just read the thing. You'll be blessed. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because time is near. It is to be read earnestly and expectantly. And if, you will, if you'll leave this place, if you'll sit under this teaching now with that heart, if you'll leave this place and read it with this heart, this book changes us. Um, it is... It is the matchless word of God and it shows us his throne, his son, his future, his promised future in ways that are are powerful. Verse 4, he continues, John is writing to seven suffering churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. The portrait of Jesus in Revelation is stunning and it's everywhere. John can't get out of the first paragraph without painting a stunning picture of Jesus. Jesus is the one who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I love this description of Jesus as the one who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood. So that we can be servants of the Most High God. There continues an absolutely stunning portrait of Jesus in chapter 1. You really should read it. I'm going to skip it and show you what happens when John sees this Jesus in this revelation that's given to him. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
Then he placed his right hand on me, Jesus did, and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. One of the things that we'll see in Revelation is there's lots of falling down in Revelation. There's lots of falling down. We'll come back to that. The second and third chapters are messages to those seven churches, those seven suffering churches. And what I'd like to do this morning in light of our time is I've picked one of those that I think may have special relevance to us. Not so much that it describes our church, I don't think, but it describes the world we live in and it describes the pool we swim in, friends. And that's the seventh of those churches, the message to Laodicea at the back end of chapter 3, if you want to follow along. Laodicea, we're told, was its chief city. In its area, it was strategically located where three highways converged. It was a highly commercial and wealthy city. It was a city of wealthy bankers and financiers. Listen to this description. See if it sounds familiar to you. The many millionaires combined to build theaters, a huge stadium, lavish public baths, and fabulous shopping centers. Does that sound like anywhere you've ever been? Maybe where you live? In chapter 3, in verse 14, Jesus speaks this message to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen. Again, listen to the description. There's a description of Jesus in every message to the seven churches. They are stunning. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold... I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, Jesus says. To buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So listen up. These messages were written to seven churches in history, but they speak to us. 
Even today, this church was a church that had lost its impact on the world because it had become occupied with the world and because it had left the Lord standing outside. The description is that they were lukewarm. They were indifferent to the things of God due to self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction. And friends, this is the culture we live in. It's the culture of our day, and tragically, it's a description of many fellowships in our day. And it could be us. Could you be described as lukewarm to the things of God? Let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There are seven messages like this. You should read them there in chapters 2 and 3. But in chapters uh, 4 and 5, the scene shifts... And John sees, it's like a window into heaven. And of course, he sees the great throne of God at the center of everything. And what do you think is going around around the throne? Falling down. Lots of falling down in the book of Revelation. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. Chapter 5, when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of saints. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. The angels were standing around the throne in chapter 7. This continues throughout the whole book. Whenever you see the throne, people are falling down. Standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God. Chapter 11, the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshipped God. Chapter 19, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Always around the throne. People are falling down in worship. And if you track these beings called elders, that's about all they do. Fall down and worship. It's not a bad job description for elders. Well, in the fifth chapter, this throne room scene, as it were, in heaven, there's a tremendous concern that brings John to tears. There are scrolls that are sealed and no one can open them. He's just crushed by this. He saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll. Or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, 
has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, he says, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne where God is. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Book the drama of Scripture says, When John looks through his tears, he sees not the regal lion, but a pitiable, blood matted lamb looking as if it had been slaughtered. The victory of God has been accomplished not on any field of battle, as it were, not by a warlike lion, but by the lamb whose life was given on the cross. He came, that lamb did, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, guess what, fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because... You were slain. And here's the hope of every man in every nation. With your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth And on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders, they fell down and worshipped. That's what elders do, you see. He says, the good news to John was that the Lamb was worthy. He says, you are worthy to open the seals on this scroll. It's been described as as the redemptive plan of God in all of history. The Lamb is worthy to unveil it and to bring it to pass. But that phrase, you are worthy... Back in the first century, one of the Roman emperors was Domitian, and that was the phrase that he required his subjects to call out to him as he rode past in triumphal procession, this great emperor. You are worthy as an act of worship. 
John is in exile, imprisoned, quite possibly for his refusal to participate in such a thing. And now he sees and hears the great truth that Christ is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And now, I hope you understand why they fall down. Because they are before the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, the Savior of us all, who is worthy of our abject humiliation before Him in worship, that we would fall down. And this, if for no other reason, if you can't figure anything else out in the book of Revelation, is why you should read it. Because Christ is exalted as victor. In Revelation, he wins. Okay? Now in the next section, which is the lion's share of the book, from chapter 6 all the way through 1920-ish, it gets a little crazy. All right? While you're reading it. And I wanted to take just a moment and just give you a taste of that. And I want you to listen. Follow along in your Bibles if you want. But I mostly want you to hear the reading of chapter 8 in the book of Revelation. Revelation 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer, with the prayers of all the saints, on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, 
and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, This section of Revelation has a series of unfolding judgments um, grouped in sevens, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Um, Believe it or not, what you heard are the early judgments. They intensify as they go on. They get worse from what you heard. This section of Revelation especially, but all of Revelation, is full of symbols. Um, Most of which, I have no idea what they mean. Because he doesn't explain them to us. Now, you can find many people on the radio and some on TV and some in print who know what every symbol means. Beware the arrogance of the interpreter who understands all the symbols of the book of Revelation. It's okay to wrestle with those things, to think about it. We're even encouraged at points in time to try to figure out what some of these symbols mean. What does 666 mean? We're encouraged to think about it. But the details are not the deal. Mark Driscoll, in his typically colorful way, has expressed it this way. He says, sadly, the book of Revelation has become the fishing pond for Christian wingnuts with an affinity for goofy charts and endless debates about the mark of the beast, who the Antichrist is, and whether or not locusts are really code word for Black Hawk helicopters. Such people need new hobbies and the right medication. Revelation is a book about Jesus and emphatically declares that in the opening line of the book. And in these chapters, Jesus is being revealed to us as judge. And it's extraordinarily difficult to sort it all out. I'm going to group for you the interpretive options of this section of Revelation and the largest part of Revelation into three groups. And if you've thought about Revelation and you have a leaning in one of these camps, please know that I'm about to misrepresent you and offend you. I'm sorry. This is the best I can do. Three groups, three ways to think about the book of Revelation. It describes the past, it describes the present, or it describes the future. And of course, there are about 150 positions all in between those three. But typically, some people believe that the book of Revelation has already been largely, almost fully fulfilled in the past. Um, 
there are points, it was especially in the first century, and there are points of remarkable correspondence between the book of Revelation, especially the section we're talking about, and what happened in the first century. Um, one writer puts it this way. He says, the closer we wrote this in the late 90s, bear with me. He says, the closer we get to the year 2000, the farther we get from the events of Revelation. Okay. He understands it to be past. Okay. That it describes especially a, a Jewish war that happened with the Romans in, in and around A.D. 70. For instance, he says, uh, Titus began the siege of Jerusalem in April of the year 70 A.D. The defenders held out desperately for five months, but by the end of August, the temple area was occupied and the holy house burned down. The five months of the Jewish war were the most gruesome and evil period, and they fit well with the imagery of Revelation 9.5. They were not given the power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And if you've never read Revelation with an eye to the past, there is remarkable correspondence between what happened to God's people, especially in that first century and some beyond, and this book. Now, if I can can tip my modest and ill-informed hand. I'm a future guy mostly, okay? But I benefit greatly from learning and reading those who believe it's in the past because it helps me see the work of God in history and the relevance of this not only then but now. He goes on and says, The rider on the white horse in Revelation 6, bent on conquest, represents the Roman march toward Jerusalem. And he finds tremendous correspondence throughout this portion of, of Revelation with things that happened in the past. I don't think everything that happened in the first century, this is just personal opinion, is grand enough to capture the language of Revelation fully. But I don't doubt that it's a, an initial fulfillment of the prophecies that are about and yet to be fulfilled. Now, there's another group that sees it as present. Some of you are thinking, am I missing something? <laughs> I'm not seeing locusts and things like that going on. It is symbolic of the spiritual warfare that is going on between good and evil, between the first and second comings of Christ. It is always this battle that we're reading about has always been going on and it will until Christ's return. It's a description of what's happening in the heavenlies presently. And we know this kind of stuff is going on in the heavenlies. If you've read Daniel chapter 10, an, an angelic messenger comes to Daniel and he says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. So an angel, angelic messenger, a messenger is dispersed. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, another angelic, maybe demonic being, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, another angelic being, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And we have just this little peek behind a curtain of some kind of spiritual battles going on in the heavenly. It's happening. And Revelation may well help us understand that better. It has so much 
to say to us about what is going on. Now, as I mentioned, there's a whole other third area of thinking about Revelation, and that is that it is primarily future. This is probably what most of you have heard, uh, read popularly or heard taught, um, that it looks forward to, to this as part of the coming day of the Lord when Christ comes in judgment. Now, when I was growing up in the faith, I was taught that anybody that did not share my future leaning in the book of Revelation was suspect. Liberals. Okay. And I've since learned that those who did not share my futurist leanings were taught to look down at me in my view, as simplistic, uninformed. Most, honestly, most biblical scholars would hold to probably a more past or present understanding of the book of Revelation. I don't know who's more foolish, me or them. Dan Wallace writes, In light of this grand purpose of Revelation, one who interprets the book of Revelation according to the narrow blinders of one school of thought misses much of the intended wealth of this book. Okay. We're not all going to agree on this. But in humility, we can all learn from each other. Because I haven't read anybody yet that's got it all figured out. I've read people who think they do. But we're all going to be surprised, and it would do us well to humbly learn from all these uh, helpful perspectives on this book. All All those positions, pretty much all of them, past, present, and future, agree that in this book, in this description of the great judgments of God upon evil, is sure hope for sufferers. Justice will come. So you know what? That frees us to be gracious and forgiving and faithful as we rest in God's certain great victory. Paul has this in mind, I think, when he says, Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay says the Lord. There is a sure hope of justice for those who suffer in the name of Christ. But it's very important this morning to realize too, you do not want to be on the receiving end of that justice. It is sobering. Look at the back end of chapter 18 now, all the, towards the end of this section. Mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again, Babylon. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. 
By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Don't miss this. As you try desperately to figure out who Babylon is and what she represents, don't miss the severity of the justice of God and the absolute importance of the certainty of your rescue from it by the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his death and his resurrection. See, the details of this section can be absolutely overwhelming. But don't miss the point. Back end of Revelation 20. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death And Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God's justice and judgment are sure and coming. We can trust in them. We can persevere because of the promise of John's revelation. But do not be caught unaware by these things. Your hope is in Christ. If you're here today and you are not sure of your relationship with Christ, the book of Revelation urges you to settle that thing. Do whatever it takes to sort it out and make sure that you will be spared on that day the justice, the sure and severe justice of God. So, in the book of Revelation, we see Christ is victor and Christ is judge. We see these amazing judgments, but that is not the point. It's been suggested that to focus on all these uh, crowns and scrolls and, you know, what this so many-headed monster is and what they mean, um, to focus on those like so many do today is like, guys, when you're in the labor room with your wife and you're focusing on her, you're helping her, you're being a good coach, you know, (laughs) helping her with all that stuff, right? but you're just focused on the labor pains. Good job, honey. That was a 4.6 on the seismic scale. Yeah. And you give absolutely no thought to the baby that's coming. It's about the baby. Okay. These judgments in the middle section of Revelation, they are the birth pangs of the one who is coming to reign and rule on the new earth. Christ the victor, Christ 
the Lord. And so the last reason you should read the book of Revelation is just the absolute beauty of the coming and the reign and rule of Christ, the beauty of the end. This is what the whole Bible has been building up to. Don't miss this part. This is what all of history has been leading up to. Chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And heaven... The heavenly city and earth are restored and reunited and reconciled in the end. He goes on, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God and men are restored. Heaven and earth are restored. And in the face of three funerals, Touching our congregation likely in three days. This is our hope. Make sure it's yours. Do everything you can to make sure it's your neighbors and your uncles and your cousins and the kids in Morocco. This is our only great, sure hope. This final chapter, I'm going to skip real quickly through. There's a theme that comes up over and over again. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true in chapter 22. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show servants The things that must soon take place. A couple verses later, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. He who testifies to this thing says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's soon. That's associated with the idea of certainty. It's often associated with the idea of surprise. Don't be surprised. Look for his coming. Long for his coming. Ready yourself for his coming. Ready those you love and whom you meet for his coming with the good news of the gospel. And it all ends this way. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's the end of the story. That's the end of history as we know it. That is mission accomplished.
And so now, I'd like to invite you to join the elders and let's fall down and worship. You got room around you? You can drop to your knees. You can bow down low and worship. I'm going to read to you from Revelation chapter 5. And then the team's going to lead us as we worship together. But let's bow down. Let's fall down. Let's worship the one who is worthy, our soon coming king. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing there in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of all the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men, women, boys and girls for God from every tribe and language, people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth and I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands 10,000 times 10,000 they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth Wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every single creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever four living creatures said amen and the elders they fell down and worshipped